0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Hopelessly Tatiana. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in and listen. Today, we're going to talk about week two of the Black History Month calendar. If there's a specific section that you want to know more about, no worries, there will be timestamps included in the show notes. By the way, happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) I'm Tatiana, and you're listening to Hopelessly Tatiana. Let's dive right in so for day one we watched waiting to excel and my comments for this movie are that it was a really good movie when the movie first came out i was like not even 10. <laughs> uh so like it's directed by forest whitaker it has amazing stars in it um and i really remembered watching it when i was like i want to say a preteen. And I did not remember the movie all the ways, which is why I put it on the calendar. Cause it's like, it's black directed. And I honestly did not really remember it very well. So I was happy to get a chance to watch it as an adult. And it was a little weird because I'm the same age as one of the characters is in the movie. So now it was like, wow. Like the last time I watched this, I was like preteen. And now I'm like the same age as a character. It was really weird. Um, but, other than that my opinions of the movie were basically that it was really good it was very interesting but it didn't age well in certain aspects like there were some homosexual comments that the movie could have done without and the constant comparison to white women was a bit cringeworthy. like I'd say there were areas where I understood why it was being used and then there were areas where it just felt really overplayed um and then there was too much of a focus on relationships defining who you are there were some really good life lessons like the main character she you know she mentions that being in love is no excuse to not pay attention to what's going on with your finances but for the most part I did kind of feel like the goal of the relationship was everybody needs to end up in a relationship or everybody needed to end up with a baby like that it felt like kind of a female reinforcement of female stereotypes and roles and i wasn't overly into that now granted somebody else could watch it and have a completely different feel but that was kind of how i felt watching it i was like "Eh, okay (laughs) but it wasn't a bad movie and i'm a little biased because i really do love angela bassett so a little bias and it was really nice to see whitney houston alive and young and beautiful so that was really cool um i do recommend people check it out adults i recommend adults check it out it is definitely not a kid friendly movie but it was definitely interesting like i liked the theme i liked the overall message that the like the idea of friendship helping you get through things and sometimes that's the relationship you need i do i did like that but uh, some of the stereotypes were a bit much <laughs> all right so that was day one day two we learned about gwendolyn brooks now gwendolyn brooks a bit of a background about her she's the first african-american poet to win a pulitzer prize that was in 1950 Um, before that she graduated from wilson junior college in chicago in 1936 she published her first collection of poems a street in bronzeville in 1945 And in 1968, she was named Poet Laureate of Illinois. Now, Brooks is best known for writing about everyday life of urban Black Americans. One of her most popular poems was We Were Cool. Um, She won the Pulitzer Prize for her poem, Annie Allen. And in 1985, she became the Library of Congress Consultant in Poetry. She also received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Endowment of the Arts. So Gwendolyn Brooks was extremely famous and well known for her writing, especially specifically in poetry. And I chose Gwendolyn Brooks because when we think of black, especially black female writers, we tend to first think of Maya Angelou. And honestly, when we think of black writers, we go Maya Angelou Langston Hughes, like that's pretty much the first two people people think of. Um, and I, I while, while Maya is my homie, <laughs> I did want to focus on other poets too. Um, the ones that helped pave the way for Maya Angelou to become the well-renowned poet that she became. So while Maya is still one of my favorite poets, she wasn't the first one to walk that path. And I feel like people like Gwendolyn Brooks laid the foundation for her. So today or that day, I chose to honor her. So that was day two. For day three, the topic was Black Authors. And the book I chose was The Other Black Girl by Sakia Zalila Harris. Now this book, y'all, it is not my usual genre of books. I prefer books that honestly are about self-care, self-compassion, you know, books that make me a better human or mystery books and or low-level fantasy. Um, So this book was not usually like in my usual wheelhouse of books I'd read but it was really good like I totally agree with people who are saying that the book was a cross between The Devil Wears Prada and Get Out it was intense like I did not there were so many elements that I didn't see coming there were some that I did see coming because you know it's it's a mystery kind of and or elements of mystery are in the book and so there are parts where I was like oh my gosh oh my gosh um, which is really good. Like to be able to create that sort of a feeling in your reader is impressive, especially for a breakout author. This was her first book. So this was really a good book. If you're someone who has trust issues, I don't know that this is the book for you. <laughs> um, But it was definitely really interesting to hear the way she used different elements of black culture in the book. Like the I the difference between how or the importance of how hair, like hair, the importance of hair in our culture, how it plays, what we do with it, what how what we do with it is viewed by other people, especially the dominant culture. I, I mentioned this in this week's topic, so I'll probably end up coming back to it next week's podcast episode. But in Illinois, It was just, it just happened this year when the governor um, has allowed for black students to wear braids and locks in schools again. So, part of hair is a huge part of our culture. And the book did a really good job of using that element in a way to like, it creates a bit of fear, tension, but also real understanding from people who are black of the importance of his hair and how how things how we make decisions based on our hair. Um, so yeah, it was really it was a really good read. And there were definitely some trist twists that I did not see coming. Um, so if you're someone who enjoys thrillers who likes books like that, this is the book for you. Uh, and it's really interesting that she got a new co worker. And that's kind of what inspired this story. Um, but yeah, so I do think that this was a really good book. And I highly, highly recommend that you guys check it out. Okay, day four. The topic for day four was let's talk, obviously, and that topic was what are microaggressions? Now, the definitions I'm gonna use are coming from verywellmind.com, and the reason I chose those definitions were one, it creates a sense of lack of bias on my part. Also, because you guys can go ahead and reference those if you are confused or wanna hear it again, you can always check out their website. So microaggressions are comments, behaviors, or actions that paint marginalized groups in a negative light. They can be intentional or accidental. These can include backhanded comments, insults, invalidations, or character assaults. Now microaggressions are basically an umbrella term used to define different sorts of discrimination. or so different types of microaggressions. You've got microassaults, which when someone says something intentionally um, And it's discriminatory So you say something racist And then go oh I'm just joking Or you say something sexist and go Oh but like I'm not really sexist Or Michael insults Are when you have a super rude comment That's insensitive and Demeaning and it's based on a racial Or heritage identity Marker so I'm I'm more black than you or Like Oprah isn't really bra- Black like you're associating blackness is one thing and then taking this person out of it and saying that they're not that. Those are super rude comments and they're very insensitive and demeaning. So those are examples of micro insults. Then you have micro invalidations. So those are when someone invalidates, undermines, or ignores, dismisses an experience of a marginalized group. This is one that I see very frequently. I think that, honestly, these are all very common depending on where where you are. Um this one is one that I see a lot of allies using because they don't understand how damaging it is. Basically saying things like I don't see color. Um that is a micro invalidation because you're invalidating the experiences that have defined my existence because of my race. It'd be like what some woman talking about what she what being a woman is like the pay gap and all the other things that come with being a woman and then having a man go oh I don't see gender like that's you're basically invalidating that person's experience that's what micro invalidations are Um, or things like we had a black president so there's no more racism you're basically taking this person's experiences and saying oh well those aren't I don't I refuse to accept that they're real so those are micro invalidations Now, some examples that Very Well Mind had that I wanted to include are um, complimenting a person who's born and raised in the U.S. on how well they speak English. This one happens on occasion or people for me, people have been like, oh, well, where are you from? And I'll go America or I'll go like Illinois and they'll go. But like, where are you from? And I'm like, Illinois. (laughs) Yeah, but like, where are you from? I was like, "Uh, still going to say Illinois. Confused, you guys. Stuff like that, where it's like you just assume the person couldn't possibly be from the same place you are. Or things like telling a thin person that they need to eat more. Or making assumptions about someone based on their race, age, se- sex, class, things like that. Um, deliberately um, deliberately misgendering someone. So using the wrong pronoun for someone who's trans on purpose. Uh, underrepresenting races, sexes, uh, and people with disabilities in the media. And another example they gave it gave was being unwilling to find stereotypes or like sports teams names offensive. Like we've gone through a real cycle in the U.S. So we've renamed the Redskins, which thank God we did. But for a long time, people refused because, oh, it's a it's a part of our heritage. It's a part of our culture. But the reality behind the name Redskins is super offensive. Like the whole history behind it really bad. So, um while it the name may be something you identified with the fact that it's rooted in something so terrible should not be more important like you shouldn't be like well i like this name so it's more important than its history um honestly this is how a lot of black people feel about the statues and the school names because it's yes i understand that these people were important historical figures but they're also associated with something that was really bad so forcing black kids to attend schools are named after confederate generals or um out clans members not like people who didn't know were clans members but well-known clans members like that's that's terrible and even if you have a real connection to it like oh i grew up in this area and this means something to me it can still mean something to you in a way that doesn't have to cause trauma to people who that negatively impacted so um, everyone had comment, everyone at some point in time has made, a, has stated a microaggression. Like there are microaggressions within subcultures. For African-Americans, we have things, something called colorism. Honestly, that's within a lot of races. It's not just us, but there's something called colorism, which is basically where the lighter you are on the spectrum, the prettier you are. So there's different microaggressions that can be committed even within subcultures. I said that to say... If someone tells you that you've insulted them, don't get defensive. Don't be mad. don't Don't instantly jump on the "I'm not racist. I'm not a bad person" because that's not the point of telling you. It's oh, okay, I didn't know. Acknowledge, apologize, move forward. Think about any time you've got a friend, someone who matters to you, and you do something offensive to them on accident. You don't just get like defensive and like, yeah, well, I didn't. Some people do also don't do that. That's bad for your friendship. But typically you go, oh, wow, I had no idea that 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 came out that way or that that that's what that meant to you. I had no idea. So you acknowledge. Then you apologize. I am so sorry that I did that because I would never want to hurt you. I'd never want to damage this relationship. You're important to me. And if you don't know the person, it's very simple. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. Um, I will make an effort to not do that again and then, you know, move forward. Now, with that said, sometimes, depending on your microaggression, there may be consequences for having done it. I'm not saying that this uh, acknowledge and apologize removes consequences. I'm just saying that first step, acknowledge, apologize. Don't try to gaslight the person who you've offended because that will make things worse. Like for me, a common microaggression is when like my black friends tell me I'm an Oreo. I don't like that. Um, I don't like that because I am not white on the inside. That's not a thing. I am black all the way. Or when my white friends say, oh, well, I'm blacker than you are. Oh, that one makes me mad because it's like, excuse me? Because there's like this implicit belief that blackness is this like one thing. So if you don't do this one thing, then you're not black. And I always found that to be absolutely horrid. The reality is all culture changes over over time. The culture that that you have or that we had during slavery is not the culture that we had during the early 1900s. And it's not the culture we had during the mid 1900s. not the culture we have now. Culture grows, it changes. But at no point in time should we ever diminish any aspect of our culture by removing someone from it. Whether you mean it as a compliment or an insult, it is definitely a microaggression. Acknowledge people are who they are. Something that happens to, that has happened to me on occasion is I'll I'll have conversations with people and, you know, usually my white friends and they'll be talking, they'll talk about uh, stuff that's happened to people they know and they'll be like, oh, well that person just acting black and that person just acting black and that person just acting black And that drives me absolutely bonkers and I have I have to say something because that's ridiculous. Usually it's always some of the worst things I've ever heard. And I don't know a single black person that's done it. (laughs) Like it's it'll be this person's, you know, speaking this way, acting this way, they're, you know, dating drug dealers are doing this. And it's like it's these horrible negative stereotypes that are just being portrayed onto black people. So even though it's a white person doing the action, they're acting black. And then I have to ask the question, have I ever done those things? Oh, well, no, of course not. I was like, has my family ever done those things? Oh, well, no, of course not. I was like, so if the black people you know don't do these things, why are they black? This doesn't make sense. So (laughs) I guess my point is microaggressions are, they're more than just, you hurt my feelings. They're reinforcements of stereotypes that are very damaging to the black community. Because if you walk around believing that all black people are thugs, um, all black people are aggressive, then you feel justified to carry guns and shoot us because uh, the the sight of me is, is terrifying, even if I'm a pacifist. So it's kind of really important to not engage in microaggressions. Please, you guys don't engage in microaggressions. And it's really hard to identify what is a microaggression and what's not. And I know that. I know that. The problem is, if someone tells you that you've committed a microaggression, we need to be at a place where we can acknowledge that it happens. The biggest issue with microaggressions I've seen is that people don't agree on what is a microaggression. Like, we can all agree that if someone says the N-word and I blow up, that's justified. Like, Joe Rogan is in the news right now for all the times he said the N-word. The black community is hot and justified. No one's messaging us going, yeah, well, why are you mad? Because we all know that that's not okay. It is now socially acceptable to be like, no, 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 you can't say that. But it took us a long time to get to this point. So because we all agree that that behavior is wrong, my response becomes justified. The problem with microaggressions is we can't all agree that the behavior is wrong. And that's where we get into these very complicated places of, well, that's not really a microaggression because I don't think it's wrong. And <laughs> that that is where that is where conflict, that is where conflict arises from. The truth is, in my life, I think I've been called the N-word like three-ish times. Whereas microaggressions are something that happen a lot more frequently because they're subtle and they're not always based on race. Some of them are gender. They can be mental health. They can be anything that impacts marginalized communities and they can come from people who mean well. So it's very important that we focus on if someone tells you you've committed a microaggression, whatever that may be, focus on addressing that problem and not on stopping the person's reaction. So if someone insults me and uh, I'll give the example I gave in the chat group, if I like a lot of times because my hair is, you know, fake, people like to touch it. So I'll be walking around. People will grab my hair. I'm standing on the subway. Someone will grab my hair. Um, I will. I'll be doing random things and people will grab my hair after the first time. I'll probably just ignore it by time 20 Um, I might say something, especially if, and this has happened before, we're like outside of the bathroom and someone's touching my hair. Like that's a hygiene issue. And at that point I might say something to you. Now, if you're that person, this is the first time you've seen me. This is the first time you've, you've, uh, interacted with me. So my, my action feels very much like an overreaction, but for me, that's the 20th time it's happened. So understanding that that's what microaggressions are like. It's not just this one thing happened and I got angry instantly. It's an accumulation of that one thing happening over and over and over again and me just having to be like, okay with it. So when someone tells you you've committed a microaggression, it may seem like something small to you, but it's not small because they are very much compounded issues. The reality is no one should be touching you without your consent. No one should be playing in your hair. No one should be um, doing things to you without your consent. And if we focus on that, then we address the problem. A lot of times what ends up happening is we focus on that person's reaction. So someone touches my hair, I blow up. And then it's all, why did you react this way? Why did you respond that way? You need to change the way you're responding so people interact with you better. And that doesn't that doesn't even fit with cause and effect. Because if my response changes, the action that caused my response still happened. So it's important to stop policing people's reactions to a microaggression happening to them and focus on, okay, well, why did that person react that way? Where there's smoke, there's fire. And while smoke inhalation can kill you, if you put out the fire, you help solve the problem. So we need to focus on what's causing these problems. Now, I did talk a bit about the impacts when I was talking about Uh, stereotypes of marginalized communities but another aspect of the importance like the impacts of these things is we put the onus or the responsibility on the victim not the perp basically what I was saying a bit earlier when we talk about things like sexual violence we have been working on changing the narrative from what was that victim wearing what was she doing like finding ways to blame her for the man's action And this is in the same vein of when there's a microaggression, we tend to blame the victim because I noticed it. Clearly, it's my fault or because I said something. Clearly, it's my fault. And that's not how that's not helpful because it doesn't help solve the problem. And it also lets the person who committed the act continue to commit those acts, which reinforces the notion that what they did wasn't even wrong. And then they have no reason to stop doing it basically if i'm responsible for how i feel and i'm also responsible for how what i say makes you feel what are you responsible for microaggressions have deep roots in stereotypes scapegoating biases whitewashing history so when someone points out that you've done something rude and that's what a microaggression is you've been rude when someone points out that you've done something rude And the pushback is Well you telling me that hurts my feelings And then we both just sit there and stare at each other It leaves a marginalized person very confused For the obvious reason of You just caused me injury And you're mad at me for telling you That you caused me injury So no one's addressing the injury Like last week I did the Desmond Tutu quote Which is If you're neutral in a situation of injustice, you've chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the mouse's tail and it says that, and you say that you are neutral, the mouse would not appreciate your neutrality. Well, in my group chat, when I was talking about this, I kind of gave the example of, instead of a mouse, a tiger. And so if the elephant has its foot on the tiger's tail and you say nothing, then you're not neutral. But if you're the elephant and you've got your foot on the tiger's tail and the tiger says, yo, like move. Yelling at the tiger to tell you to move politely, not okay. Yelling at the tiger saying, well, I don't like the way that that makes me feel, not okay. Because in all of those situations, your foot is still on the tiger's tail. You haven't actually addressed the problem. We've just deflected from my situation to your hurt feelings and what's been going on at least that I've noticed recently is that people say things like, well, what you said hurt me when you point out that they're being rude and somehow it's supposed to be my job to change whatever I'm doing to make them feel better. Even if the root cause of the problem is that they did something wrong, that never gets addressed. We need to focus on how I'm uncomfortable. And that's not if someone tells you you're being rude, apologize, acknowledge. If you want to ask questions, oh, like what I I'm sorry I did that. I didn't mean to. Can you explain to me why that's not okay? Once everyone's calmed down, I'm sure that's a conversation you could probably have. But at the end of the day, your foot is on my tail. So remove it. If you like this content, have a question, or want to make your opinion known, leave a comment and review on iTunes. If you want to learn more about me and my writing, check out my website, www.hopelesslytatiana.com. Or if you just want to say hi and have a chat, come find me on Instagram and Facebook by searching Hopelessly Tatiana. I'd love to hear from you. Your voice, your life, your story matters. And I'm willing to listen, if you want to tell it. Welcome back. Okay, so the second part of the week was definitely a bit less intense. So day four was let's talk. Day five is self-care. So every time we do a self-care, the next day is always, or I'm sorry, every time we do a let's talk. The next day is always self-care. So the topic for self-care was to connect with something that brings you joy. The reason I chose this is because anytime we have these hard topics, the next day you do need some time to decompress, to breathe, to relax, to go do something that makes you happy. Um. So day two, or day five, I'm sorry, was to connect with something that brought you joy. For me, that can be anything like singing or KTV or writing or watching movies, just something that makes you feel like you're yourself. And if you don't know what brings you joy, that's okay. That can be an a day for you to explore. Try something new. Um go out and see if there's a hobby you might like, meet some new people. Um just try to do something that makes you happy. So that was day 5. Okay, so day 6, day 6 was the Loving versus Virginia case. Now, this case is significant for the fight for equal rights. It actually took place several years after the Civil Rights and the Voting Rights Act, and this case helped to legitimize equality of all the races. Despite the fact that it did that, it still took decades for these discriminatory laws to actually be removed from the books. Alabama was the final state to remove its anti misogynation laws in 2000. That's over 30 years after Loving v. Virginia was ruled, and ruled such things as unconstitutional now they couldn't arrest you for those things and if they did you'd obviously have a slam duck case but it still took a long time for them to vote to make the, to take the laws off <sighs> so it's because of this precedent of loving versus virginia that the case i'm probably going to say this wrong obergefell versus hodgins um, was able to guarantee marriage equality for same sex couples in the United States. So it was the Loving versus Virginia case that became the precedent that allowed for that to happen. So when we protect the rights of one group, we in turn protect the rights of everyone. And if we limit the rights of one group, we end up limiting our own. Now, the case of Loving versus Virginia is of an interracial marriage. There's a couple, a uh, white, white man and a black woman, and they get married. They have to go to D.C. to get married because they can't get married in their home state. Um, they end up in uh, Virginia. They come back home. Um, after they're married, the police break into their house at 2 a.m. and then drag them off to jail because it's against the law for them to be married there and live together and to have sex. All of those things are actually against the law at the time. Um, so they drag them off to jail. They're taken to before a judge and... The judge basically they, they plead guilty and the judge offers them either a year and um, a year in prison or 25 years in basic exile. They choose exile, so They leave and they move back to D.C., which is where they got married and they don't like it there. You know, they they want to come home. They want to see their family. And they uh, it was actually the wife. She was the one who contacted uh, Robert Kennedy and he put her in connection with the ACLU and they were able to file a motion and a, lo- a lawsuit with the courts and then that case was appealed and then it just kept going until so it got to the Supreme Court and it was really intense because this case was this case was actually unanimous they unanimously voted that um there's zero reason for interracial marriages to be illegal because the only reason that they were illegal was race based and that is definitely against the constitution so it was very interesting in terms of its unanimousness <laughs> is that a word Well, it is right now, (laughs) like from personal experience, I cannot speak at all to what it's like to be an interracial marriage, but I, I have been an interracial relationship. So I do know that even now, like fast forwarding to the two thousands, even now it's not, it's not frowned upon with the same degree as it was, obviously then no one's going to arrest you, but it's not always as accepted as we'd like for it to be. I remember I brought a, a, a guy home. Um, for just like honestly it was just like a, a family dinner and we weren't even in a relationship and one of my relatives was like I'm gonna disown you if you marry him and this particular person was just my friend and I was just like uh, awkward so my friend and I just kind of looked at each other and we're just like that's weird and we just kind of moved on with our lives I did I do believe I did speak to either that person or someone else to have a conversation with them about how that's not okay but it was really weird and I've had similar occurrences when I've actually had white boyfriends. Um, And I do remember when I was in undergrad, I was walking on the quad and my boyfriend at the time and I were holding hands and people were staring hard, like if, if looks could kill. But it wasn't just, it wasn't the students, like people my age didn't really care. It was like their parents or their grandparents who were like on the quad for whatever reason, and they would just stare and they would stare hard like I was doing something wrong. And that was just, I'd never felt that way before. Um, and all of a sudden I had this like feeling of guilt and shame. And interracial, I don't i don't want to be like, oh, it's just like white people who don't like black people. its It goes both ways too because I've definitely had, you know, I've been in relationships where, you know, the black people I, I knew were not approving and I, I was told that I was a sellout or that I was denying my blackness so that I wasn't black enough because I didn't have a black boyfriend so it's this idea that like we have to stay within our own race and that's the only way for things to be okay and I'm really pleased with this case because it you know made it so that that's not a legal precedent and I do hope that as time progresses people all come to terms with the fact that we can love who we'd like to love as long as it's consensual and everybody's an adult I don't see anything wrong with it um. So yeah, uh, that was my personal experiences, but it's different for everyone. There are lots of people who have interracial relationships and don't have any issues, but sometimes it is still a thing, and it does have an impact on the people in them. And it's it takes a extra level of of real support because you're not just battling, you know, with usual relationship problems. You also sometimes have to battle your family, and that is not an easy decision to make. So. I commend all people who are in interracial marriages because I do recognize that it's not always easy because everybody isn't naturally accepting. All right. So day seven was the another black directed movie. This one was When the Levees Broke by Spike Lee. Now, this is actually a docuseries. So there are four parts, each part's an hour long and an epilogue, which is two hours long. I've watched the first four four parts. I have not gotten to the epilogue yet. I like partially through it. Um, what I can say is that the film covers what happens what happened in the United States during hurricane Katrina. So while the hurricane itself caused an intense amount of damage, the real disaster was what happened with the mismanagement, questionable leadership choices. The, the cause what caused hurricane Katrina and then everything that followed it. It was absolutely terrible. Um, but Spike Lee did a great job of following the victims, getting their information um, and really like playing, like going along with like it felt like I was going through the motions with the people. And it was it was an intense thing to watch. Um, now, I'm going to be honest, when the Hurricane Katrina happened, I was in high school and I was honestly very much in my own world worrying about, you know, college applications and stuff. But I do remember like specific things i remember you know obviously when the levees broke i remember when it flooded i remembered i remember seeing images of floating dead bodies uh, that was i don't think i've ever seen anything like that just images of floating dead bodies in the water and one and obviously i remember kanye being like george bush doesn't hate black people but one thing that i remember that stuck with me in a genuine way was the shooting of looters there was And my memory could be fuzzy because I was, you know, a teenager and I'm not anymore. But I remember there was uh, they were shooting looters from the helicopter. So people were in helicopters shooting looters. And it was like day four ish, I think. So people are it's been four days and they're breaking into buildings. But this wasn't like there were there was definitely looting that happened, especially at the beginning of non-essential products. But by day four, when you're surrounded by water, you don't know if people are coming. Like, you could be breaking into that building to get to higher ground. You could be breaking into that, to that building looking for clean water. You could be breaking into that building looking for food. Like, there could be a billion and one reasons why you're breaking into that building. And it's not, that aren't just, I want your TV. And it was intense. I remember sitting there thinking how absolutely ridiculous it was that they were shooting looters from helicopters. And the news only felt that the problem was the looting. I was just I remember being absolutely blown away because I was like, "That is absurd! Like you don't even know what's going on." And just I remember being absolutely just I just, man, it was, um, man, it was just a lot. Um, so being able to watch the docu series and see the what was what else was going on that was leading to these issues like why people didn't leave and this is actually something I do want to touch on from like a from my experience point of view I have worked and for an insurance company before so there are things I can say from that perspective now if you buy a home in an area that is high risk flooding when it's time for you to rebuild you just get the value of the damage caused by the flood depending on the, the type of insurance you have okay now that's something that's obvious like everyone who has insurance knows this what people may not fully recognize is that if you're not getting the value of your house that also affects the resale value so if you are someone who is trying to sell your house if you live in new orleans and even before hurricane katrina and you want to sell your house you're not going to be able to make up what you're not going to get what you put into it back so if you're someone who's living to paycheck to paycheck you own this home moving becomes more difficult if you can't even like break even to move and that's what happens a lot of times to homes that are in areas that are high flood or even within the tornado belt um that can happen to you so it's not as simple as just like why did they even live there anyway and then when you have things like hurricanes or even tornadoes because i come like from Illinois. Uh, there's a cost associated with dealing with that. So if you constantly have to leave every time there's a threat of a hurricane, that costs money because you have to go somewhere. Like leaving, it's not just like you leave and someone's paying for you to be somewhere. You have to, you have to go somewhere. Not everybody has the money or the time off to be able to do that. So it's not as simple as just everybody should have left. And I remember hearing that um, when I was younger people saying like well they should have just left and that's not that's a very simplistic comment to a complicated situation. Like you can't always just leave. The reality is the levees broke and they shouldn't have. So blaming the people who were victims of the hurricane for not leaving when the levee should have shouldn't have broke is really displacing because that's it's not their fault that the levees weren't built to cold they didn't know that that nobody informed them of that and it's it's been a real intense honestly i I highly recommend that if you have the time that you check out this docuseries because it was there are things in there that i honestly didn't know like i knew that bush took forever to go visit and i knew that he showed up and did like a a prompt and then left (sighs) (laughs) but uh, there were there were definitely things i did not know um i didn't know that the head of fema was one of his friends. I mean, I, I should have known that, but again, I was in high school. Um, and I just... I The things I remember about the situation were pretty much just the backlash towards the people who were victims. I didn't know how long it took for them to get everything sorted. And it doesn't seem like everything is fully sorted now. The people I know who are from the area still talk about how it's not exactly the same, which is obviously would be expected. But I it was definitely something to watch learning about the internal politics learning about the degree to which New Orleans is actually a lot poorer than I thought it was and the offshore drilling that takes place in New Orleans I didn't realize that they weren't receiving any money for that drilling because like Texas does and the other states that are in the south that drilling is taking place offshores they receive a cut of the of the profits and Louisiana isn't so they're drilling outside of Louisiana and Louisiana is not getting any money for that. And that's, that's crazy. So, um, I mean, I think they have, I think they are now, but they weren't at the time. And that really asked the poverty rate, which makes it difficult to do things like reinforce the levees. And so, yeah, it was definitely an interesting watch. I highly, truly do recommend that. Um, as some of the best money I've ever spent, I found it on Amazon prime, uh, but I'm sure it's located other places that people want to watch it again. The movie is called When the Levees Broke, and it's by Spike Lee. Uh, it was a really good docu-series. Uh, so next week we'll talk about week three, which is cultural appropriation, reconstruction, and so on. So if you want to know more about those topics, come on back next week, and I'll tell you what we talked about. See you then. consider this. If you want to learn, read. If you want to reflect, write. If you want to change, listen. So, thank you for listening.